right? Say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to, uh, to assert your rights in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly, uh, or, or, or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you call the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, If you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have uh, a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper and you're dealing with a a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster It's it's FC Cincinnati winning a game, so it's like a, it's like the equivalent of man running a four minute mile for the first time. Uh, it's a special occasion that we didn't think could ever happen. As Jason I mean, was saying uh, before we turned on the recording, it's like it's like a sarcastic uh, vote for Yapstam. I mean, when you when you take a team as incompetent as FC Cincinnati has been, and you win the first game in a year and a half. <laughs> you're going to to get some plaudits. Um, put otherwise, when you take the, the highest budget team in the league and you finally win a game, why shouldn't you win Coach of the Week? <laughs> Obviously, you have to manage personalities. And, yeah, it's against Chicago, but... Or, so. Anyway, hey, hey, welcome in. It's Filibuster, the Black and Red United and LOL Yapstam podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. Joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we talk about DC United. Earlier this week, we broke down DC United's one nothing loss to the Philadelphia Union. You can find that in your podcatcher stream if you subscribe to this podcast. And if you don't subscribe to this podcast and you're hearing this, please subscribe. That way you don't have to seek us out once or twice a week. You can, you know, we'll come to you in the podcatcher of your choice. Uh, tonight we are previewing DC United's visit to Inter Miami. Um, watch that game Saturday night, 8 p.m. NBC Sports Washington, Teleexitos, DCUnited.com, ESPN Plus, all the usual places. DC United have a chance this weekend to claim their first road win of 2021 uh, down in Fort Lauderdale, uh, visiting Club Internacional de Football Miami which I still don't understand how that shortens to enter Miami CF, but I'm not a branding guru either. Can, can I throw one, one additional curveball that I only learned earlier tonight? They're speaking herons. Of, no, no, not that. Um, speaking of the further confusion about inter Miami, um, we've been internally joking about the spelling of their stadium name, uh, <laughs> which has no, no vowels. So I, I believe uh, you mean Derv punk. Yes. Uh, Derv punk stadium. Um, <laughs> So I I found myself like I started working on our uh 
preview for the game in part because I wanted to have notes for this segment. And I was like, why do the notes now and then not have them later? I'll just put them in now and the draft will be ready for me. Um, But so I started working on it and I was like, well, I might as well chip away at some of the other stuff that goes in here. So I went to look and I was like, I don't want to type out all caps drv space pnk that's i, I i'm not Ruth doing that. Pank. it's it's a branding thing that i don't like when they insist you have to not capitalize or capitalize you're not it's a brand you're not a person if you're a person okay uh your name is your name you're a human being i'll respect that brands are not human beings apologies to mitt romney um corporations <laughs> and brands do not have not earned that same level of respect that you owe to other human beings um and so i didn't want to write all caps. So I was like, is the name of this place seriously that? So I went to the Inter Miami website and it turns out the name of the website on their website, it says drive pink stadium. They spell out the words in regular text, not in all caps, <laughs> not um, Durf punk, but all the branding on the outside of the stadium says, ben, Durf I punk. believe it's Dorf pink. Um, yeah. So yeah, they they don't even have internal consistency with the stadium name either. It's also multiple different things. So um, I would like to request, first of all, for the folks at Inter Miami to just pick pick something, <laughs> pick a thing pick that's the correct consistent. one that is not the all caps vowelless. Let's, let's get consistency first, and then we'll move on to correctness. We just need to like get any sort of internal logic in any of this together uh, before they start showing up with like basketballs for soccer games. Like we showed up for the sport we wanted to play. I'm like, no, you're a soccer team. Like, well, I don't know. I think we should just call it. I think we should just call it new Lockhart because I just love that. It's not in Miami. uh, And I just love old Lockhart, like especially having David Beckham at old Lockhart when it was like completely overgrown with uh, uh, trees and shrubs and all of that Mm -hmm. and forcing David Beckham to stand there and say, yes, this is where we will uh, build our temporary stadium, temporary modular stadium uh, to uh, launch my soccer team. I think we're going to personally, I'm going to choose to call it new old Lockhart. Going forward, that'll be my my personal editorial policy. Um, no guests this week. If you're listening and you you hadn't figured that out yet, uh, we're going to lean on Jason and our own experience watching uh, the team that should wear pink but doesn't um, for for this segment. It's in the so, name of their stadium, even it it's is. like a double insult. It's right there. Uh, it, it maybe if they wore if they had flamingos instead of herons in their logo, they'd be more inclined to use the color pink that they put in their color scheme, but just don't use. I don't know. Anyway, the first actual on field thing that I want to talk about with with Miami is is Los Hermanos Iguain. I think that that has to be the starting point. Gonzalo Iguain kind of finding his scoring touch this year, and his his brother Federico Iguain who some of you might remember was a member of DC United last year, uh, looking good for them uh, in, in somewhat limited minutes, but definitely having a positive influence on the game. I think this week was the first time he didn't come into a game and immediately make a, a good contribution. He started, but um, yeah. So, so Jason, what do you make of, of the brothers Iguain? Uh, well, it's been a slow drift for Phil Neville from Gonzalo Iguain has been starter from day one. Um, Pipa, at first, his role was kind of super sub, much like DC United seemed to have uh, earmarked for him. Um, but over the last couple of games, he has drifted into a starting role. Um, 
against Montreal, they were losing two nothing. It was actually they went down two nothing very early and really were never in the game. Uh, but at halftime, uh, Neville went with Pipa, and since then, Pipa's been the starter. Uh, he started uh, against Cincinnati. He started against Chicago. Um, though I will say he he did get pulled after 54 minutes against Chicago in a shutout loss. So um, Phil Phil Neville might be maybe thinking twice. He did also call out um, Julian Carranza, who came in for Pipa, uh, as having a good performance. Um, but that was more of a, he wasn't signaling or singling out Pipa. He was more like, other than a couple of our youngsters, everyone else played poorly. Um, he was doing one of those. So it has been kind of a mixed bag, but Gonzalo Higuain has been more effective. He's got four goals on the year already. Um, he's clever. You know you know his runs off the ball and his finishing are all going to be there. The physical strength is not where it used to be. The speed is definitely not where it used to be. Um, but, you know, he's still definitely a threat. He's a different kind of player than DC has played. So, um, and, and so is Pipa, uh, if we're being honest. They haven't played that kind of, uh, you know, 2005 to 2015 kind of playmaker that that has that extra freedom to sort of roam and drift you know lucho used to play like this a lot as well um they haven't encountered that kind of player too much they've been facing teams with a little more of a structured use of their playmaker whether that's the revs playing a 10 in a diamond that stays pretty rigid or carly's heel playing mostly out on the right um so it is an interesting dynamic where they like to let people float Whereas other guys that have played that role, and if they make that switch, if they get away from people starting, um, haven't been given that same degree of freedom. So um, it's definitely, in, in its way, it actually reminds me a little of DC with Rooney and Acosta, where there's a little bit of like, you two are very experienced and you work well together. I'm going to let you figure it out. And the rest of the group is going to have to work off of you, um, which, as we know full well from our own experience with that way of playing, can be very good can also be very easy to shut down if you can just sort of contain those two guys. Um, and it's also that similar thing where it's two guys that are clever, crafty, really skillful, really inventive, but also not very fast. So they don't have that ability to break out of situations. They've always, they always have to play out. There's no way to run out uh, and escape it just based on that. It's got to be technique and brain only. That's the way they're going to get it. it any, any danger they create is going to be from that. It's not going to be because somebody or because they outran somebody so uh continuing the comparisons with cincinnati obviously uh coach of the week yap stom will be joined in the race for coach of the year with inter miami head coach phil neville um wait do we lead with inter miami head coach or do we lead with david beckham lifelong friend and inter miami head coach (laughs) Phil Neville. I'm not sure what the correct title is. I know there's a full title somewhere and I'm just not familiar with the exact specifics. Yeah. Or or we could also go with uh, English women's national team uh, disaster fire, uh, Phil Neville. (laughs) Uh, However you slice it. um, Yeah. Neville's doing exactly what, uh, what all of us expected. Um, It's very much a like, if you go into football manager and punch up a four, two, three, one, uh, and don't modify any of the standard settings that is inter Miami. Um, that's what Are you sure do. that that's not exactly what Phil Neville did? No, that's what I'm saying. That's what he's doing. Uh, that's what's going on. That's what he's, he's always. No, but I, 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 are you sure? I that think Ben is like, suggesting that take... our universe. Oh. 
I mean, uh, Inter Miami put them into Football Manager, and then oh yeah, there might be a computer on his desk where he's doing all of his game planning with Football Manager. Um, uh, I thought Ben also, was suggesting that the universe is a simulation. That's and also Phil Neville is impossible. in fact running it. It has felt often <laughs> like we're involved in a Football Manager simulation to me, um, especially like we're we're in U.S. Soccer. Like this is a team that has Breck Shea. Breck Shea is a football manager, a uh, regen kind of name, not the name oh, of a, yeah. a, a real human being. And yet in our world, that is a real human being. And he's he's Breck Shea to the max. Um, I wasn't going uh, full metaverse like Adam was suggesting, but uh, I do I do close. like I've, I've, I've fully bought into this, uh, this scenario now. <laughs> yeah, uh, whether it's metaverse or not, um, the, the the Neville that we expected is the Neville we got. Um, the guy, the Miami players seem to like him. Um, this last game, the vibe I get is that the, the ability to play hard and buy in was maybe starting to sag a little bit, which is maybe why he was publicly willing to criticize. Um, but as we know from the past, there's only so many times you can do that. Um, that if if you don't have full buy-in and you just decide to say most of our players played badly and that's why we lost, you can't get away with that one too often. So, um, It'll be interesting to see if Miami has the like return to fully bought in and and maybe not that great, maybe not that technically or tactically advanced, um, but at least trying really hard and trying to set their high skill players up for um, big moments. We talked about this uh, a few weeks ago with Matt Doyle about how that can be pretty successful in MLS. It's just that it, there's already evidence that maybe maybe Miami's not getting that full buy-in, um, and if they lose that, they're in trouble. Um, this Chicago game, for example, they were dominated. They were outshot twenty to four. Um, the fire being the fire, they still almost blew this whole thing. Um, the, the only reason they got their goal <laughs> was because of a goalkeeping error. Um, on and a and game. how? Yeah, real really bad moment. Though I'll give Phil Neville some credit here, uh, as much as I don't want to. He did come out and say, like, look, if it weren't for John McCarthy, we would have lost this game by four or five goals. Um, so he he covered for his goalkeeper on the goalkeeper's bad mistake um, to take some pressure off of him uh, and to emphasize to his team that even if your goalkeeper gives up one bad goal, if you get outshot 20 to four by Chicago, you did a bad job. Um, regardless of the, the the circumstances of how you lost the game, you lost because you played bad, not because your goalkeeper made one mistake. Um, but yeah, like, if you if you get dominated by this Chicago Fire team, uh, who are so prone to giving it back, like they'll they'll play well for a while and then be like, okay, we've had our time playing well. Now you get to do something, and we'll just stand here. Uh, you know, we teach our kids to take turns and share, yes. and they're just exemplifying that. Yeah, the, the Fire are a very generous opponent. Um, <laughs> they want everyone to have a good time, um, and usually the other team has a better time than they do, um, which is maybe not great for Fire fans, but is you know they're an eager partner. <laughs> yeah, that's all it is. Um, but yeah, uh, Miami, they made Miami look really bad. And we, we know from watching Chicago that, that they're not a good team as a starting point. So if, they, if they're where they are and you look, look significantly worse, that's a big problem. Um, so this last game for Miami was definitely an alarm bells kind of ringing thing. And compounding that, uh, it's, let's see, they've got uh, Leandro Gonzalez Perez is suspended. He has. Yeah, I was going to ask a, about that. He LGP managed to I, maybe break some records here. He he got to the five yellow card mark in 
what seven games seven it's seven or eight it's one of the fastest in mls history since they instituted the five game or five yellow card suspension setup miami has played seven games so that's that's real that's a lot of yellow cards that he's got right and to to do it so fast you've got to to do it so fast you've got to like minimize your red cards Mm -hmm. because then you get that then you're losing games for those suspensions so it really is quite quite the work of art uh, ben, ben, you're calling to mind. Uh, we had that one season where Marcelo Saragossa was um, briefly yes. on pace to break the MLS yellow card record, but he actually accidentally got himself suspended, and that made it so that he couldn't. It was like, oh, well, now he's run out of time. He won't be able to break the record uh, because he got suspended. Um, uh, yeah, so L- yes. LGP in some rarefied air, uh, as far as that sort of thing goes. I don't, you know, I I don't know how you get five yellow cards that quickly um, at all. Uh, that's that's preposterous to me but he did it uh it's it's happened um they actually i think they realized um that this was coming they actually subbed him out at halftime and brought on um uh nico figal i think in part because figal hasn't been playing and they were like well he's gonna have to play next week so we got to get him out there right um get him some minutes yeah exactly so um this what does that do to their back line well most likely it'll just i assume it's going to be figal stepping in um, but that means that they have a lesser version of LGP playing next to Ryan Shawcross, who so far has looked kind of like we expected. He's looked like an EPL veteran who was thinking about retiring and then decided, I can do one more year living in Miami. Who wouldn't love to do that? Uh, but you know, the <laughs> no, downside you, of you that could is, pay me to live in Miami for a year. Yeah, and I can run slow too. Um, but, uh, <laughs> the downside is that I might get exposed in soccer games for being so slow. Um so yeah, he's definitely a veteran leader with a lot of experience, but he can be exposed for speed. Um, this is maybe uh, a reason to addition, an additional reason to push uh, hard runners uh, making direct runs up front because you might just get Kamara into a foot race with Shawcross and he's going to beat him. Um, so yeah, that's probably the only direct change, but their their back four is kind of like. I think Shawcross and Gonzalez Perez are Neville's center backs. He's settled on that, but the fullback situation has been kind of a change every. It seems like every game. Um, Victor Uyoa, who most most MLS fans recognize as a central midfielder, has played, I think, five, four or five games in a row at right back. Um, but this last game, he was subbed out in the 64th minute. Um, so I think maybe there's a chance there that that Neville has seen enough and wants to go in a different direction with uh, Christian Macoon, um, or a cu- there are a couple other guys. They've got Kelvin Leardam, but they don't seem to want to put him on the field um, for reasons that I can't really figure out. They they went and signed him um, to a free agent contract. Chris Henderson uh, had been in Seattle, uh, is now in Miami, making the same kind of technical director decisions. So someone in that organization was like, Leardam's pretty good. We should sign him. Um, and Phil Neville is, I guess, like, I'm not into it. Um, not going to use him. Um, so maybe, I mean, it might be, they might, this game against Chicago might've been like, okay, we have to change something. So maybe Leardam does come in, but right now it's been Uyoa um, at right back. And then on the left, it seems like it's every, every week it's someone new. So um, they've had Sammy Guadiri play a couple games. They've had Jovan Jones play a couple games. Speaking of Seattle guys that Chris Henderson sought out, um, Breck Shea has played some left back, but in the last couple of games, he's been pushed up as their left winger. Um, I think in part because it's like, 
okay, we're not playing well. Let's at least get some defensive solidity by having having a fullback and then Shea further forward um, rather than playing Shea as an attacking fullback and then have another attacking player ahead of him. Um, I think it's a conservative kind of selection where um, Breck Shea is still Breck Shea. Uh, there isn't really a change there. Sometimes he'll do something really good. Uh, it's just that other times he'll just kind of be out there. Um, the effort's there, but like sometimes his engagement with the game is is just not, he's not completely plugged in. He's the kind of guy who might just sit down on the grass and watch watch <laughs> things go by. Yeah, it could be. I mean, but probably for different reasons, though. It, it'd <laughs> be more just like, I'm bored. I'm like, are you bored? Yeah, it's definitely not for game? tactical reasons. No. Like, no, no, no. I'm just, I'm bored in general. Wish I had something. I could go just do something have ennui. Else. I have yeah. South Florida ennui. I, this isn't about Miami specifically, but... I am amazed that nobody who wants to run a back three has sought out Breck Shea to play left wing back. He seems so tailor-made to play wing back specifically. Um, it, it, I don't, I'm not saying I want DC United to do that. I don't, but uh, I'm just surprised nobody has, has tried that yet, but here we are instead. Um, another guy who in the attack, who, who seems to not be, be getting as many minutes as you might expect is designated player Rodolfo Pizarro, who uh, scored against DC United last year in, Mm -hmm. in one of two games that fans were allowed to go to. Uh, But just really haven't heard his name much this year. Talking about Miami. Uh, Yeah, there's been, I mean, there's a combination of things with him. Uh, I believe some of it is that uh, lately he's picked up an injury. Um, he didn't play in this last game at all. Uh, he played, he came in in the 90th minute against Cincinnati with them leading. Um, so I think it was more of a time-wasting sub than a um, go in and change the game kind of sub. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's one other issue that they're having is that I think what Phil Neville wants from an attacking player is not necessarily what Pizarro provides. Um, and I think they have not, really found a happy meeting place between those two things. Um, I, I believe that it's, it's not certain yet whether Pizarro is going to be able to play against DC or not. I read that he was iffy. Um, so that's a situation to watch uh, whether he is back uh, and able to play, or if they say, Oh, he's, you're going to have to rest for this game or something like that, because he could start because just from the fact that um, they've had so much, you know, chopping and changing the formation, the system are all the same, but Neville is definitely plugging different pieces in. There's only a few guys where you say, you know, Shawcross is going to start Gregore and Blaise Matuidi. uh, Now that his contract is MLS compliant, uh, (laughs) they're going to be the He's no longer the fourth designated player on that. Right. Right. They're not, they're not playing by uh, broken rules for an entire year. Um, those two are going to be the starting defenses. Again, a farce, a farce of a club. Oh yeah. Um, and in a way, a league, uh, well, yes, someone should have stopped this from occurring. (laughs) Were there any consequences other than you can't have four DPs again this year? I think they've just announced, I, I don't think they've announced a final declaration on what Miami's punishment is, but the season started. So maybe they're just going to hope no one asks. Um, they're just going (laughs) to hope this whole thing goes away. Um, but yeah, um, those two as the defensive midfielders have been a constant, uh, Gonzalo Higuain is a constant. The other one is Lewis Morgan, uh, their, their right winger 
Um, and he's probably been their best player, uh, give or take um, Gonzalo Higuain. It's it's one of those two that have been their best uh, best player. Um, Morgan's a pretty traditional winger. Um, but outside of that, there's a lot of places where you could, a lot of ways to shift this thing around where you could plug Pizarro in. And Neville either isn't figuring out how to get the best out of him, or Pizarro is just not doing what Neville is saying, and and that's the problem. But somewhere in there, there's some kind of disconnect, and we could see him. He could step in for Pipa, um, or Neville could back up his talk of saying, like, hey, most of you older guys, more established players, played badly. Um, and he could turn to Julian Carranza and Robbie Robinson and not have a space for Pizarro at that point. Um, so it's one of the many mysteries with Miami right now because – it seems like they are trying to figure it out for themselves. So it's hard to then from the outside get a good handle on it because every single week they're changing something in their lineup there. And it's not, it's, it's very strange to me that it's not, we change the lineup and we also change the roles within the lineup. It's just like, well, we took the one guy out and put the other guy in and that's that. Um, But this is part of why I have my doubts about Phil Neville, because I don't know that he's necessarily thinking too much beyond that. Uh, which MLS is no longer compatible with that line of thinking. You can't do that. And Miami kind of seems to be trying to do it anyway. So we know they're going to play vanilla 4-2-3-1. Um, everyone can picture exactly what that means, I think. If you're listening to this podcast with any regularity, you you probably are nerdy enough to be able to picture that in your mind. Are they susceptible to the press? That's going to be important for every DC United opponent going forward. I think to, to think about that is, is Miami blaze Matuidi in central midfield. Are they susceptible? Uh, so this is a mixed bag because we've got two, we've got two good um, games to measure this by recently. And the outcomes are different um, against Miami, Miami or against Montreal in Miami, excuse me. Um, Montreal came out, wanted to press them, went up to nothing really quickly. And like I said earlier, uh, this is that game where Miami was just never involved. Um, Montreal was, I think it was 2 nothing after 25 minutes. Miami never really mounted a serious comeback. The game just sort of drifted on its way at 2 nothing like that. Um, so that was a game where Montreal's high press was obviously successful. Um, and Miami never really figured it out. Atlanta also tried to high press Miami uh, and also tried to dominate possession. They tried to do both things. And they did do those things, but they didn't have a lot of success pressing them uh, in a way that unsettled Miami because of that game, Miami said, you know what, we're at home, but we're going to be content to counter. Um, It's okay if we don't have the dominant possession, we're going to play on the break. And they had 17 shots. They actually had, I would argue, a more threatening performance than Atlanta, even though Atlanta, I think, had like 63% of the possession. Um... It was still Miami took the lead early. Uh, Atlanta only got their draw through a penalty uh, from Joseph Martinez. So there is a game in there where Miami said, this is a team we have to counter. We can't, we have to change something in what we do. So we're going to play counterattacking. We're going to toggle the thing from standard to counter. Um, <laughs> and that's what we're going to do. Uh, but it did, it did make, the, they, it's the one game in their last four where the performance seems like pretty decent. Um so it should be that should be a signal to Phil Neville, like maybe you need to be a counterattacking team, or maybe it's just him being like, "Well, that worked for Atlanta, and we just can file it away and never think about it again." Uh, for DC, <laughs> the hope is that they approach it like uh, Montreal and uh, don't learn any lessons from those games. Um, 
and that DC's high press can just dominate the game early and get them in front and then leave Miami with the puzzle to solve because I don't think they're going to solve it. Um, but that Atlanta game is a good example that as much as I've been trashing them, they do have at least one performance where they said, okay, this is this other team is going to, to send a lot of numbers at us, so let's stand back a little bit, and then when they overcommit, then we can break out. Um, so that knowledge is rattling around in there somewhere. Whether they apply it or not is another question um, that I think we'll find out pretty early. If, if they start to look organized and focused on playing on the counter, then DC might be in for a bigger challenge than we've made it out to look. But if they come out just completely standard, like like DC doesn't play differently from the other teams they've played, then it might be a nice day for DC. It might it, it the door might be open for them because uh, this Miami team, when they don't look good, they're capable of losing to Chicago badly. You know, they're they really can be quite bad. It's just that when they get it all together, they get it right. They can be adequate. We've seen a couple of the league's better coaches adjust to DC United and come away with points as a result. Um, well, we'll I, I don't think I would put Phil Neville in the echelon of the better coaches in MLS at this point, but you know, maybe he can learn from them and hopefully not. Hopefully he won't learn from them. Uh, this is the part of the show where I normally ask a guest about their stadium situation because Miami is trying to build a stadium. Uh, luckily, we play them again in three weeks, so I get another chance to book a guest and, and ask them about that um, and about the future of, of Dorov Panenka Stadium. Uh, so, Jason, going to put you in the stylish jacket, the all-black outfit of Hernan Lozada. How are you game planning against Miami? What are you focusing on? Uh, I want to I want to make sure that I am uh, really willing to press. Uh, really, the pressing triggers need to be focused on their back four, um, because I think once they play into um, Gregore and Matuidi, I think then they're all right. Um, Matuidi might not be as high energy as he used to be, but he's still a guy that won the World Cup only a couple years ago and won a bunch of Serie A titles. Like, he can play. Um, Grigore, I think they paid too much for him, but um, he does remind me in some ways of Jose Martinez. Um, So good news. You know, DC just really hounded Martinez out of a game. I think they can do it again against Grigore. Um, But he's not exactly the same kind of player. He's certainly not as yellow card prone. Um, That role is taken. We've already talked about who has that job for Miami. Um, They've only got one guy that can get all the yellow cards. but, yeah. but he's not playing, so maybe they they need someone else to take yeah. up that slack. Just, just, that, like, just like we said, uh, just like we said at the beginning of the last episode, next man up, got to fill those roles, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah, I, I you know that could be uh, it could be that he takes in the he is told, hey, uh, you have to be the guy that tackles harder uh, because we're we are losing that with Gonzalez Pires out, we're losing that emotional. Um, lift that can give us it could actually be in their minds um but yeah I, I think preventing those passes from connecting making it hard for Miami to find those central midfielders um we've heard Losada talk about playing against a 4-2-3-1 if you think to that Columbus game especially um playing with and don't be surprised if we see him play with three up front in the 3-4-3 or 3-4-2-1 uh where he wants those wide forward slash attacking midfielders he wants those guys to form a box with the midfielders around 
the other team's two holding midfielders. He wants that 4v2 to happen on a regular basis. Um, I, you know, Columbus is, they're pretty savvy about trying to get around that and they managed to not necessarily call let it cause them trouble. Uh, but it did mean sacrificing a lot of their passing game. I don't know that Miami is going to adjust to it. I think Miami's look at this might be like, we can play around this and DC needs to make sure that the answer to that is no, no, you can't. Um, so making sure that these, uh, the link to that part of the field the options to when, when the ball does get in that area, making sure those options aren't there uh, for them to get out. Um, if, if Matuidi is having to pass back a bunch of times, uh, then that's probably a good sign. That's the, that may be the pressing trigger moment right there is um, hound those guys. So they don't have the outlet except for those backwards passes. And then when they play those, that's your pressing trap. That's when you go get the ball um, because Shawcross isn't, you know, He's not an oaf by any means, but he's slow. Um, so he can't really evade these high pressing moments. He's not going to be able to play, move himself in such a way where he's into a better position because of his speed. He's too slow. Um, Nico Figal is pretty technical, um, but there's a reason he hasn't been starting. Um, there's a reason that they've decided Shawcross is better for what they want to do because they don't really want to be that team that needs to connect these passes. They're willing to go a little long if, if they have to, but they don't have that target. So they, they're kind of a weird mix of things where they don't, they want to do some things where they don't have the pieces to do it. Um, this is one of the reasons why Pizarro with Neville is such a weird fit because what they want to do doesn't really benefit Pizarro very much at all and vice versa, because Pizarro doesn't want to play Phil Neville's approach to the game either. Um, so yeah, I, I think the emphasis really needs to be on pressing their back four and that, that, you know, whether whether it's three or four to outnumber uh, Gregor and Matuidi, um, if you cut those guys out of the game and make it so that their influence at the at the best for Miami is just passing sideways or backwards, I think that's how you cut the rest of their attack out. Then, then they have a game where they're only taking four shots on Chicago. This is how you set that up, um, is by just making it hell for them to try and play through those midfielders because those two are really the key. Uh, for them, those are two of their most talented players. But the reason they haven't been their most effective players is that most teams have been good enough to find a way to make sure that they are they're out there and they're trying their best, but they can't really get going because they're not given the option to get going. Um, on the other side of the ball, um, as much as we talked in our last episode about uh, Paredes over Mora, Mora at wingback, that issue with Morgan as their right winger it is something that is probably going to be in Lozada's head because that is their most effective attacker right now as far as creating chances. Um, and I don't think Phil Neville's going to drop him. So um, having some, you know, whether the job is like, okay, Kevin, make sure that you are forcing Morgan to chase back and defend, then that's fine. But if the option is, okay, we're going to have to be maybe a little, I think there was a game earlier this season where Lozada talked about how, he was going to really attack through one side and sort of balance that out by being more defensive on the other. We might see that repeated here uh, because if you can take Lewis Morgan out uh, as an attacking force and you can just sort of, you know, nullify him as a threat, there's not really much else going on for Miami right now, other than like dead balls, you know, set pieces with two different Iguains on the ball. That's dangerous. Uh, that's not a, that's not a great situation. It's not Lucas Celerion, but it's still a threat uh, for sure. So, um, and, and also we have to be fair here. DC commits a lot of fouls. Um, it's just the the way the team plays. They do give up set pieces quite a bit. So 
Um, I think we might see that that balance uh, defensively, which might not be a lot of fun. We just talked about how we want Paredes to start. Um, but there is a reason for choosing the more defensive option on that side because of how dependent they are on Lewis Morgan. Um, but the main thing for me is really if their defense is having to play long because they can't find a way to connect with their central midfielders. And if those central midfielders, when they get their touches are having to go backwards or side to side, then DC is in business. If Blaise Matuidi is stringing together forward passes and he's connecting with the Iguains and, and finding Lewis Morgan, that's, that means things are going badly. Um, but that's really, that's what I would be focused on if I were coaching this game is, you know, I don't want Blaise Matuidi and Gregore to be getting plaudits for their performance after this game. I want, if the, if Miami's going to beat us, it better be somebody else. You know, if, if it's, if Breck Shea beats us, then okay. Um, but we're not losing the game because of their central midfielders. And I think DC is well set up to cut them out. Um, but I am interested to see how they handle, you know, if Miami does wise up and say, let's counter, uh, let's be a counterattacking team. That's a different challenge than, um, you know, a lot of teams against DC have gone defensive, but they haven't really tried to counter. Yeah. Uh, you know, Orlando didn't throw that counterattack in. It was just, we're parking the bus. We're not, no one's going forward. We're not, it's not going to happen. Um, this would be different. So it is maybe the first time in a little while that they face that possibility, though. I, I, I don't know. I would say it's like a 35, 40% chance that Miami goes that route. Because again, Phil Neville might just not want to change his plans. We go, well, we're at home. So we don't have to technically adjust. I'm like, you probably should. Uh, but if you don't want to, <laughs> go ahead, buddy. You know, I hope he looks at DC's record and decides he doesn't have to change anything. <laughs> right. Um, you know, because you are what your record says you are. That's what I've been told. The table doesn't times. lie. The table lies all the damn time. But we don't. Not here on Filibuster. Um, and that's it for, for this week. Uh, thank you for listening to to hopefully both episodes this week. If you haven't already listened to our breakdown of DC United's one nothing loss against the Philadelphia Union, go find that episode in your feed and uh, listen to that. Uh, find us at blackandredunited.com. If you are listening to this uh, this weekend, right before the game, and you would prefer to get this kind of intel a little bit earlier in the week, uh, boy, have we got the Patreon for you. Patreon.com slash filibuster. Uh, is where you can support us financially. And as a thank you for that, we we give early access to these second episodes each week. Find us on Twitter at FilibusterDCU, at Black and Red U. Download, subscribe, rate, review, wherever you get your podcasts. Please tell a friend about the show. That's, you know, short of paying us, that's the nicest thing you can do for us. Uh, and of course, send your emails, whether they be love letters, hate mail, or advertising inquiries to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you again next week. Say goodbye, Jason. Everyone, do yourself a favor. Look up uh, our our Nashville correspondent at Clay Lassol, uh Adam's cousin. Uh, he posted a thread today as we're recording this of very old USL 1999 uh, media guide that's full of... 1999 soccer club uh clip art (laughs) yes many clip art uh soccer balls that are on fire um you will if you enjoy this show at all you will enjoy these photos they are a picture of the ancient past of soccer in this country and it is silly 